0: Well good morning, good to have each of you here today, and uh, Brian, if you didn't know it before now, I mean Brian told us a minute ago, he is not here, Brian uh, is an in demand speaker, I'm not so much, so I'm here to uh, accept the the blessing of, of delivering the message, thankful for that. Uh, I'm being streamed, how about this, I am being streamed live right now. My wife isn't here, but she is listening to this service as she's driving back from Indiana. She's been gone three days. I can't wait for her to be home. I'm wasting away. (laughs) And that reminds me, honey, uh, just one more time, fat patties, bacon and blue, extra tomato. (laughs) Okay, hope you're getting that, honey. (laughs) Uh, it is good to be here. Welcome, welcome to uh, the second week in our series. Brian began it last week as we talked about this book, When the, the Day. We're going to continue that this week and I'd like to start the message by telling you a little bit of, from Jewish history about a guy named Nashon. You may not have heard of Nashon before, not know much about him. He's mentioned twice in Scripture, which is twice more than me and twice more than you. So he's doing okay. Uh, But he's the great, great, great grandfather of King David. And he disappears from the scene just about as soon as he makes his debut. You see, he's the leader of the tribe of Judah as they make their exodus from the Egyptian slavery and it's, it's at this point that he comes on the scene. Now, he's not mentioned by name in the book of Exodus. But he is the one that Jewish history actually credits with saving the nation by one singular act of courage. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, the Israelite nation is in that hard spot between a rock and a hard place. The Egyptian army, the Red Sea... They were trapped, no apparent way out, but you just just put yourself in that camp of the Israelites. Here's the army, here's the Red Sea, and you're terrified. You hear the sound, you hear all the commotion, it's kind of wild, what do we do, where's the panic, how do we cope? And it kind of reminds me of the chaos of this past Wednesday at Kroger. (laughs) Anybody go to that place? Were you there? My goodness, it was their first day after opening, and in the lobby, right right at the entryway, they were giving away Oreo cookies. Now, why they chose to do that, I don't know, because you couldn't get in, you couldn't get out. If you did manage to get in and got back into the innards of the store, it was so crowded, you couldn't get through. I didn't know where anything was. I couldn't find the chicken broth. I didn't know where the frosted mini wheats were. I lost joy somehow in aisle 47. And what grocery store needs 47 aisles? I don't know. But it was crazy in that place. Now you take that craziness and you multiply that by let's say a million. And maybe you can catch a little bit of the flavor of the panic And the confusion and the chaos that the Israelite nation was going through right then. But then there's this this precious verse in Exodus, the 14th chapter, verse 15. And God says, go forward. But the thing is, there was no forward. The Red Sea was forward. Nobody really knows what to do with that. And so panic sets in. And that's when our friend Nashon steps up and does something crazy. According to Jewish history, here's this guy that just starts wading into the water. Can you imagine? Everyone is panicking. Moses is trying to come up with a plan, trying to come up with a way to deal with this, and it must have looked to everybody there that Nasham was crazy, but that's what he did. He waded into the water, up to his knees, up to his shoulders, Right up to the very bottom of his nose where he could just still barely breathe. And that's how and when and where God split that wide, uh, Red Sea wide open. You see, God is the one who made that sidewalk through the sea. But Nashon is the one who made that miracle possible by wading into the water. Nashon believed that God was leading them. And he wasn't going to lead them part of the way. Nashon believed that God was going to lead them all of the way. And that if God brought them to this spot, he would provide for them here until he took them through that spot. And at that moment, I love the way the psalmist records the picture of this. And just think about this with me. Psalm 114, the Bible says, Nashon, wading into the water... And when the sea saw him, it fled. The sea fled. Isn't that a picture? What a magnificent thought. You see, there's this old axiom, if you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. But I've got a new one for you. If you want to see God make a sidewalk through the sea, you cannot stay on the shore. And most of us spend our lives trying to see God and waiting for God to split the Red Sea. But maybe, just maybe, God is asking you to wade into the water. Maybe God is waiting for you to get your feet wet. Now I know there's some maybes in that. And those are maybes. But here's one thing I do know. If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural, you have to take the risk. Now, if you want to turn in your scripture with me, we're going to look at Exodus, the 14th chapter. Last week, as we mentioned, Brian began this series, Win the Day, and he talked about how we should live God's story for our life by flipping the script to his script. Today, we're continuing with one of these, the second of the seven habits, seven daily habits that will help you stress less and accomplish more. And this habit, we're going to call this Kiss the Wave. Kiss the wave. Now, I know that sounds a little strange, and you might be wondering where in the world is this message going? But it comes from a, the phrase, uh, it comes from a famous preacher that you know who coined that phrase. And the preacher's name is Charles Spurgeon. From about 150 years ago, he had a long, meaningful ministry in London. And Charles Spurgeon said this I've learned to kiss the wave. That throws me against the rock of ages. Learn to kiss the way that throws me against that rock of ages. Now life is full of moments of pain and suffering. You go to a follow-up visit to the specialist. Only to find out it's stage four. In the middle of the night, you get a knock on your door. And it's two highway patrolmen and your preacher. And they want to tell you about an accident that happened on the road just a couple of miles from your house. You've been working for 25 years at a job you love and doing important work in your mind only to have your manager call you in and she tells you in two weeks your job is being surplused. It's times like that you have two choices. You can choose to fight the wave Thrash about wildly trying to exhaust yourself just keeping your head above the water or you can kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. So here we are in Exodus 14, and let me set the scene once again, just just to make sure everybody's caught up. The Israelites are trapped in that very small space between a rock and a hard place. The Egyptian army pouring down on them, and the very shoreline of the Red Sea. And it seemed like it's a no-win situation. Death by sword, or death by drowning? Here's where verse 10 of Exodus 14 leads us. Now put yourself in their shoes just for a moment. And imagine the sounds of those horses and the clouds of dust and the sounds of the chariots and and, and all of the chaos that's happening and they're pouring down on you at full throttle. It's flight or fight and the people panic. But that's when spirit-filled leaders step up and lead and they stay calm and they carry on. And that's exactly what Moses did. In verses 13 and 14, we find this response. Moses stand up and says to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace there are three phrases in those two verses that are going to make up the outline, the bones of our message today. Once, uh, the, the first point is face your fear. Two is stand your ground. And three is hold your peace. And we're going to spend just a little bit of time talking about each of those this morning. First, face your fear. Now you've got the Egyptian army coming full speed and Moses says fear not. And that's easy say, but nearly impossible to do. But I want you to know that courage is not the absence of fear. As a matter of fact, fear is a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite. The question is how do you manage your fear in times like that? Now psychologists tell you that we are born with two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Now, I'm a little bit skeptical of that first one, the fear of falling, because I've, I've seen babies and you've seen babies that are right on the edge of something that might be a, a little bit of a drop, and they, they, they're not concerned. They're as happy as they can be. Uh, but psychologists, they give us these two: these two, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Uh, and that being said, all other fears are learned. And if we can learn fears, all other fears can be unlearned. Faith is the process of unlearning fear. And this is how it works. Let's look at 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 18, says, Perfect love casts out all fear. Now, if you fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom, which means you hold Him in high esteem, you hold Him in higher regard than anyone or anything else, that is the beginning of overcoming fear. The fear of God is the cure for every other fear. And if we fear Him, we don't have to fear anything else. Now, pick a fear. Any fear. Fear of uh, Rejection, fear of of failure, let's just say the fear of failure. The cure for the fear of failure is not success, but the cure for the fear of failure is failure. In small enough doses that you build up an immunity to it. It works just like a vaccination. So identify the strain of the fear virus that you're dealing with, uh, fear of intimacy, uh, financial fears, fear of rejection, fear of the future, fear of social, uh, social situations, and then once you identify them, don't avoid it, don't avoid that fear, but rather expose yourself to it in small enough doses that you build up an immunity. In fact, you do exactly what Nashon did. You wade into the water where that fear resides. Nine times out of ten. I love this. Nine times out of ten. Failure is the result of poorly managed success. And success is the result of well managed Fear. How about that? It's learning the lessons in those hard times. It's cultivating the character that God has for us when the pain comes or when the suffering is, is going on. In the last year, we've all suffered to a degree. In a hundred different ways, it's just not been the best of years. We've been closed in, we've been isolated. We couldn't go to weddings. And, matter of fact, many weddings, most weddings, had to be rescheduled or done on a much different level. Uh, We couldn't go to funerals. We couldn't gather for the holidays. We couldn't go on vacations. Our children couldn't go to school. So many of us, many of you, became de facto teachers. It was a tough, tough year. But as we said last week, Brian and his message... Said it wasn't a dumpster fire. The year wasn't a dumpster fire. It was more like a refiner's fire. And what comes out of a refiner's fire is more valuable and more precious than before. So in the middle of all of that, at the beginning of all of that, we didn't panic. No, by faith we believed that God wanted to make some highways through the sea, and that's exactly what He did. As a church, something we'd never done before, we were, started streaming all of our campuses, all of the services live uh, across the web. We'd never done that before. Uh, in, in addition to that, our small groups, our wonderful small groups, we couldn't meet any longer. We couldn't meet together. So we managed to do that in the digital format by way of Zoom like a, lot of, like a lot of other people. We were able to keep contact, pray for each other, love on each other in a virtual sense. And now that things are, are, are much, much better, seeing people come back that weren't able to come before, is just an affirmation that you've been able to stay connected with us. You've been able to maintain that contact. And there's victory in that. In the middle of all of that... As Brian mentioned earlier, we gave $25,000 and more to our recovery house project. People say last year nothing good happened, but I say God has definitely been on the move. And God has definitely been making a way through a tough time so that we can get through. Face your fear. Moses also said stand your ground in verse 13. Stand your ground is the translation in the good news version. The NIV says stand firm. Stand still is the way the New Living Translation says it. The Amplified says take your stand. And the Living Bible says stand where you are. Well, however you want to say it, the Bible makes it clear when that Egyptian army is coming and you're right there at the edge, God says to stand firm. Now, there's a scene in a Matt Damon movie. Is that a familiar name? Probably a familiar name. Matt Damon was in this uh, movie called Ford vs. Ferrari. And he uh, takes the role of a race car driver. And he says there's something strange that happens at 7,000 RPM. Right at, right in that range. Uh, he says at that RPM level, he says the car just kind of disappears Everything becomes weightless, and all that's left is just a body moving through space and time. And it's about at 7,000 RPM that it kind of creeps up on you, that you begin to feel, it, and it asks you a question. And that question is, who are you? And He says, that's all that matters at that point. Who are you? Well, I don't have any idea what was going on in the neural pathways of Moses' brain. But his mind must have been going about 7,000 RPM. Where do we go? What do we do? And I wonder if he has a flashback to his burning bush moment in Exodus, the third chapter. Where at the burning bush, Moses said what Matt Damon says. Who am I? And I love God's response. God didn't answer the question that Moses asked. He answered the question that Moses should have asked. And God's response was, I'll be with you. And that's all we need to know, isn't it? That God is with us. He's for us. And in those tough times, we discover who we are and who we're not. We also discover who God is. And in crisis situations, we need to go back to ground zero. And by ground zero, I mean the foot of the cross. By ground zero, I mean the empty tomb. Or by ground zero, it can be those precious promises that God had in His Word. And we make a beeline straight for those Philippians 1 6 that says, He who began a good work in you, will carry it through to completion. He'll complete it. God is preparing good work in advance for us to do in Ephesians 2. And that verse we have all relied on time and time again from Romans 8, that God makes sure everything works together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that amazing verse in Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we've got to stand our ground. And I'm I'm going to add something else to standing our ground while we're in there. And just don't stand there, but embrace. Embrace that pain and suffering. (laughs) Doesn't that go against everything that's natural to us? Because we want our world to be perfect. We want our kids to be perfect. We want our home to be perfect. Our marriage to be perfect. We want the perfect vacation. We want all of this. And so it's tough. When we realize that there are moments of suffering that are going to come. I can't control them. I can't control what they are. I can't control when they come. But it's at this point in Batterson's book. That he presents the question that we need to ask. And that is what have you come to teach me? God what is in this hard time. This rock in a hard place time. When this wave Is hitting me in the face. What what is it that I'm to learn? It's a hard question to ask. It's an even harder question to answer. But it it all ties into those stages of grief, And and you know about those denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So many of us, when those hard times come, we get stuck in one of those steps of depression. That's where so many of us get stuck. But we have to wade into that grief. To get to the other side. I feel kind of strange. Quoting from Friedrich Nietzsche. But he talks about the meaning. Of suffering. The meaning of suffering. And he says. Uh, he's, he's an atheistic philosopher. A, a, a German. And he says. He who has a why to live. Can bear almost anyhow. Now I think we would disagree. With about everything Nietzsche stands for. Or who has said. But there's, there's truth in this. If you can see the why to live, you can bear almost anyhow. So, my prayer is that God brings you to that sense of meaning on the other side of grief. That third step that we need to hold on to is our peace. Hold your peace. The 14th verse of Exodus 14. Now, there's an ancient tradition practiced in a lot of Orthodox churches that's called passing. The peace. Past the peace. And actually it goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus talked about giving an offering. And if you have. If, if there's a, a relational problem. Between you and someone else. Before you give that gift. Do everything that you can do. To restore that relationship. To restore that relationship. And that's. That's. Uh, part of the biblical teaching uh, from Christ and practiced in a lot of churches. But we need to do that on an individual basis, not just as a church, not just as a nation, but individually. Individually, and here's how that works. One person can help I, I I know this is kind of a tender area, but one person can make a difference in racial tension and political polarization. You can interrupt the pattern and how do you do that? by praying for those who persecute you, by blessing those who curse you, by passing the peace. And why do we do that? Because a follower of Christ is a peacemaker. A peacemaker. And I have no doubt that some of you right now are kissing a pretty hard wave. You're right there between that rock and a hard place. But I want you to know you're not in that alone. We are a community of faith. And what does that mean? That means that we bear each other's burdens. That we build one another's faith. That means that we eat faith for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. And what that means is that you need to dream a little bit bigger. Pray a little bit harder. Look a little bit farther. Because you're a part of this community of faith. And as we elevate, and as we activate one another's faith... It creates this really nice herd immunity from fear. So I want to encourage you to reach out to someone this week. And share what struggle, what suffering, what pain you're in. What stage of grief maybe that you're in. What fear you're kissing right now is that wave just pummels you. Uh, and why would I ask you to share that? Why, why, what's the purpose in that? Because there's something powerful that happens when we confess and profess what the enemy wants us to keep silent because it paralyzes us. But as soon as we begin to verbalize those things and share those, God opens amazing doors. And guess what happened when Nashon stepped into the water? He took the first step, and because he did, the rest of the Israelites were able to follow him and experience the miracle. Because one person had the courage to go first. You see, just one person can shift the atmosphere around us. So you have to kiss the wave, face your fear, stand your ground, and hold your peace to make all of that productive And nothing is easy about those things. It's easier said than done. And that's what brings us to this verse in verse 15. Where uh, Moses cries out to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Let's take a little break right there. Because I think some of us cry out to the Lord and ask Him to do things for us. That He's asking us to do for Him. But God says, tell the Israelites to go forward. Go forward. Uh, Again, I don't know what step of faith you need to take, but I know this. The first step is always the hardest step. You have to overcome the law of inertia by exercising initiative. You have to overcome fear by exercising faith. If you need marriage counseling, I know it's hard to wade into those waters, but it might save your marriage. I, I know losing weight can be hard, especially if you waded into those waters a time or two before, but you've got to take the next step. You've got to take that next step. Whether it's a resolving conflict or training for a run or writing a book, it's that first step that's hard to take. But if you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. And if you want God to make a sidewalk into the sea, you've got to wade into the water and kiss the wave. Here is how, here's how all of that ended uh, in this episode in Exodus 14. It's a great, it's a great ending. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant." There are two kinds of people in the world. There are plotters, and there are plotters. Let me spell those for you. I think I can do that. Plotters with two T's, and plotters with two D's. Plotters with two T's are those people that can see the far off future. They have vision that surpasses their resources. They set their uh, God sized goals and dream the unthinkable. They attempt the impossible. And I admire the two T plotters. But you know who I really admire? I admire the plotters with two D's. Now, when I think of plotters, I I put that in running terms, a plotter. Now, I ran my first marathon back in the 80s, back in the 80s. I wasn't a young guy then, but I thought I was a fast guy until I was just a few miles out and I was passed by a grandmother. I've never forgotten what her back looked looked like. If it was a grandfather, it wouldn't have been so bad. It still would have hurt. But it was a grandmother. And I knew, I knew right then, I was a 2D plotter. In 2013, some of you know this, and it's, it's a different story for a different time. But I ran the Boston Marathon in 2013 while Joy... Was at the finish line of that race. That, that's a different story, different time. Not, not not a part of this. But I remember what one of the many things I remember about that race, I was at mile 20, and I was reminded again that I'm still a plotter. Because I at mile 20, I was passed by a guy who was dressed like a cheeseburger. <laughs> And right after him was an overripe banana. They passed me. And I was still a plotter. Still just a plotter. (laughs) Now plotters on a large scale, just out of the running community, plotters in the human community are the people who every morning get up and just win the day. They stay humble. They stay hungry. They stay in their lanes. They stay the course. And Nashon is the patron saint of plotters with two D's. I mean, what would have happened if he had gone into the water and stopped at knee depth? Eh, nothing happening. Or What if he had gotten even up to his chest and there was still no difference in the surface level around him? Uh, This... This just isn't going to work, and give, gave up too soon. Sometimes we give up too soon. We give up too easily. Come on, church. Let's look at Hebrews 12:2 and see what the Bible says. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. The finisher. The finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross. In other words, He kissed that wave for you and for me. Let's pray together. God, thank You for Your power. And God, we thank You for Your plan. We don't understand every step in Your plan for us but we know in every step you'll be with us and that's enough god we know very clearly even though we don't know the steps that you would have us take or the the interactions we have in life we know steps that are very clear in your word that you want us to name your son as our lord and savior and we thank you that you've made that way possible and giving us your pattern giving us your path and giving us your grace and so Lord now we pray that as we come to this time of response and, and inspection that you will help us to see where we are where we stand with the one who matters more than all else that we'll see if our relationship to you is all that it needs to be and it should be because your son bled and died that we might have that relationship. God we pray now that as we come to this time of response that those who have never put on your name would consider doing that in these moments because that wave's coming maybe they're in the wave right now and God we pray for your peace now we pray for your presence through and when we see you face to face God we thank you for the victory you ultimately bring and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we do, wind it up with our time of response. If you've never put on the name of Christ, there would be no better time than right now to say, I believe that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I want Him to, I want him to be my Lord for eternity. And if you want to talk about that and what all that means, if you want to talk about repentance, you want to talk about baptism, uh, I'll be here to your left. I'd be more than glad to talk to you about that. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'll pray with you. Others will be glad to do that. If you let us know, if you'd respond, and let us know. If you want this to be your church home, my goodness, what a great place. What great people to serve with. Let us know, and we'll call you brother, sister. We'll call you family. But if you need to respond, and we invite you to do that, will you do that now as we stand together and as we sing?